Welcome to the Healthcare Weekly Podcast, where you can learn about the innovative ideas and technologies reshaping the healthcare industry. Join over 150,000 monthly readers and listeners all over the world. Each week, we sit down with some of the most brilliant minds in healthcare to learn what the future holds. The Healthcare Weekly Podcast, healthcare innovation starts here. Welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Weekly Podcast. I'm Kojin Racine, CEO of Digital Authority Partners and Healthcare Weekly. Today's guest is Larry Cohen. He's CEO at 2047, the innovation arm of the American Medical Association. 2047's mission is to tackle some of the biggest challenges in healthcare, including data transparency, chronic care prevention and management, productivity focus on patient care outcomes, and value-based delivery of health. Larry, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Larry, talk to me about kind of the overall AMA vision for delivery of health in America for the next decade and, and how 2047 fits into that overall vision. So the AMA is, you know, if you go back to their mission, right, if you really think about what the AMA mission is, it's, it's really to focus on the art and science of medicine with the idea of improving public health. So that's their mission statement. And they have three strategic arts, which are to attack the dysfunction in healthcare by removing obstacles and burdens that interfere with patient care, to improve the health of the nation by confronting the increasing chronic disease burden that faces us, and lastly, to reimagine education, training, and lifelong learning for the digital age. The AMA is really a public trust. It's a remarkable organization. The expertise that resides within that organization can be startling at times. And really, it is the CEO of the AMA, Dr. James Madera, who decided that he wanted to start making a difference to the myriad of problems that face this country, not just to study them, not just to understand them, but to actually put in place solutions that would start to change some of the underpinning problems that we have in healthcare in this country. And so he started Health 2047 nearly five years ago. It'll be five years old in January. And the idea is, as you stated, it is the innovation arm of the company. The charge to Health 2047 is to identify some of the largest problems in healthcare that need to be solved in order for us to make progress, irrespective of the direction of what that progress is. And so the idea is that Health 2047 would identify problems would form what we call investable solutions because these are enormous problems that need to reach scale and so they need to reach capital and to actually start a series of companies that will attack these underlying issues in healthcare. So Larry, cool question. Where does the name come from? Health 2047? Is it the year 2047 or something else? So that's a good question. The original concept was that we should make a change and we should make a change for the better by mid-century by 2050. People realize that the American Medical Association is actually going to be 200 years old in 2047. So we promised them that we would do it three years earlier. Gotcha. Okay, so let's talk about how 2047 and how it's structured, how it works both internally and with regards to the overall community of health entrepreneurs. So one of the important decisions that was made early on was that they wanted to place Health 2047 outside or not underneath the umbrella of the American Medical Association. So they decided after looking around the country to actually start Health 2047 in Menlo Park, California, in the heart of Silicon Valley. And they thought it was going to be a really nice juxtaposition of approaches and talents 
to have us based out here. We are a relatively small organization. I believe there are somewhere around 20 to 30 people that are actually full-time members of 2047, but we have an extensive series of collaborators and advisors that probably double that number. The people that work here just come from a variety of different backgrounds, and it's all of the backgrounds that you actually might imagine are necessary to accomplish sort of the difficult task in front of us. So we have the AMA as our backbone. We have access to a series of physicians. We have people that are experienced in health systems, health insurance, IT, data science, AI, machine learning, behavioral economics, all aspects of finance and law. And also, you know, what's critical is obviously a host of experienced entrepreneurs. So we bring together these people from a variety of different backgrounds. And the idea is really let's ideate. Let's figure out what are the major problems. This is what we like to call the Silicon Valley approach. You know, identify first the problem, clean sheet of paper, no preconceived ideas. What's the problem? What's the solution? What's involved in bringing that solution to reality? Is it technology? Is it behavior modification? Is it branding? Is it marketing? You know, so what are the components that would make that solution successful as an organization? And then we work as small teams to put those together. And ultimately, we come to a decision process where, in fact, we think we're ready to launch a company. And we then launch an independent company with its own board of directors, much as you would in sort of any startup environment. So what type of support does the AMA provide to how 2047? Because you did mention, I think, that full-time staff is in the, you know around 20, but you have such a huge and important mission that I would assume requires some sort of scalability to achieve. So currently, the AMA offers us our sole operational support. So the budget that we have is we're a fully owned subsidiary of the American Medical Association. We have an annual operational budget, which allows us to do exactly the kinds of things that we've just discussed. Once we get into these small companies, we actually try to do this in collaboration with others. Right. And so once the company is launched, while we do have a small seed fund that allows us to contribute to the initial capital of these monies, what we're looking for is what you might consider conventional venture funding. Operationally, the AMA, the small companies rely on the community for funding. So I'm curious, what is the definition of success for how 2047 on a yearly basis? On a yearly basis? What we've tried to do is we have, you know, we, I wouldn't say we struggled with this, but this is top of mind for us. You know, we're all, we all take pretty seriously the opportunity that is presented to us and how can we meet the expectations that are upon us. So if we look all the way back at 2050, 2047, we say we want to make significant change to the way healthcare is conducted in this country. We think our pillars, if you will, of, of data, chronic care, radical productivity allow us to identify the areas that we're working in. We're trying to launch somewhere in the neighborhood of four new ventures every year. So sort of one a quarter, although obviously they don't need to be spaced out in that sense. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to do those companies that we obviously think will make a difference. And the way that you can assess that is really by the progress that these companies are making, both in terms of reaching customers or perhaps attracting capital. So currently in your portfolio, at least on the health247.com website, you have four companies. Can you talk to us about, you know, what these companies do, where they are, have they achieved uh, product market fit? Are they, uh, you know, the seed stage? Are they successful? Which one are you the most proud of? 
Well, that's a dangerous. So we've really launched five companies, one of which hasn't been announced yet. We're close to another. And they're each in very different areas. Perhaps just on the basis of customer acquisition and capital raise, Zing Health is at this point the most advanced. It's the managed Medicare company based in Illinois, serving Cook County currently, although it's currently in an expansion mode. It was started by a series of physicians who wanted to start a managed Medicare company that would partner with healthcare providers. So to take the friction out of the payer and provider side of things, work as partners together, and they specifically focused on serving the underserved populations of Cook County. So the idea really is is to think about what's necessary in terms of the social determinants of health, for example, in order to really raise the health of these communities. They recently have just received, we seeded this company, and I believe it was started at the beginning of last year, although I don't have that date in front of me exactly. We seeded this company, and basically a couple of months ago, it just raised a $150 million commitment from New Light Ventures, which is a private equity firm that was spun out of George Soros' operation. So it's really put itself into a position now where it's hired the staff, it's raised the capital, and it's really sort of really well positioned to take off starting from now on. So we consider that to be a significant success, right? Just from a seed of a few million dollars to grow it to the stage. And the success is, by the way, it's the entrepreneur. It's not L2047 at this point. But the success really comes from the ability to build the team, attract the capital, and put yourself in a position to accomplish the goals. They're moving from uh, Illinois into a few other neighboring states and expanding into Illinois. And I believe that's all going to happen by the end of this year. So that's one really good example of success for us. The other company that we like to highlight is called First Mile Care. And First Mile Care is a company that was put together to scale the CDC's diabetes prevention program. It's a proven program that's demonstrated in randomized clinical trials and published in major medical journals that's shown that it can inhibit the transition from prediabetes to type 2 diabetes. In this country, The unbelievable figure is one out of three adults actually is pre-diabetic, which means that left unchecked, if there's no modification of diet or behavior, that they will, you know, a significant fraction, 30 to 50% of those people will actually develop type 2 diabetes within a number of years. And the DPP program is something which is remarkably successful at preventing that transition. The problem with it is in the 10 years that it's been in existence, It's treated only a couple of hundred thousand patients, and there are 88 million pre-diabetics in this country. And so we have a proven therapeutic approach, which just hasn't scaled. And so working internally, two entrepreneurs working internally, Carl Ron and Daphne Lee, have put together a program, which they call the First Mile Care Program, which really focuses on the elements which will attract people to these programs, make them stay within the program because it's a program that lasts for many, many months, a year, and makes it easy for them to do so. And the three sort of guideposts that I like to think about for first mile care is it needs to be recommended by a physician. There needs to be a human component. That human-to-human contact and empathy is necessary to achieve success in this program. And it also has to be really convenient. And I think the numbers that Carl and Daphne use, it has to be something like five minutes from your home because that's the community that you set up normally. That's the grocery store that you go to. And so if you're going to attend a coaching session or be part of a program, 
that needs to be that convenient. So putting together those three elements, they have been remarkably successful at attracting and retaining patients into this program. They have started with an initial program in San Francisco. They've moved into Texas, and they're expanding to another different states. And so really what they're trying to do is they're trying to cover essentially all of the zip codes in this country in order to bring it to success. So the scale that they've achieved and the successes in terms of attracting and retaining and people reaching their goals have indicated to us that this is also something which is on the verge of really catching fire and really taking off. So again, we started this thing, a clean sheet of paper. We thought that these would be the important components. It was based on some of Carl Ron's sort of behavioral economics background, if you will. But they've proved out through the proof of concept through the last 18 months. In fact, they've identified the right levers, as they like to call them, that they can be successful. And they're really just entering the growth expansion phase now. So among these portfolio companies, some are just third-party entrepreneurs who engage with the Health 2047. Others came out of like internal as they return into companies. Uh, kind of shifting gear for a second and thinking of healthcare entrepreneurs all over the country, I like to talk a little bit about like if they're listening to this podcast, who should engage with you? Who should reach out to have an exploratory conversation? I know you've mentioned a few pillars uh, tied to data liquidity, chronic care, radical productivity, healthcare value, but those are very broad categories, and I want to kind of ask you, can you help our listeners kind of qualify themselves when approaching health to 2047? So this is really important. Thanks for bringing it up because, you know, we realize that these problems are complicated enough that, first of all, we're not going to be able to generate, no matter how many smart people we have in this office, we're not going to be able, no matter how much access to the MA we have, you know, we're not going to be able to really necessarily come up with all the ideas that we need to have. And so we really work to get not only internally generated ideas, but also very importantly, the externally generated ideas. And Zing Health that we talked about a minute ago is an example of an entrepreneur, Eric Whitaker, that came to us with an idea. And so what we're looking for is we're really looking for people who want to have an extremely large impact on healthcare. We'd like to think that we're beginning to demonstrate traction so that people can say there is real value in interacting with Health 2047. It's not only access to the American Medical Association, which is enough for starters, but we actually bring value to the process based on the experiences that we've had. We're really looking for clear, compelling, and critical problems in healthcare, solutions that are going to address those kinds of things. We really want to look for system level change for societal benefits as well. So that we, we're on a mission. We're not, you know, we're not just here to make money for the MA. We're actually here to make a difference. And we're looking for things that we believe will be non-incremental improvements. You know, these are major leaps, not point to point solutions, which are so easy to do. We're also looking for outstanding entrepreneurs because as you know, if you've been around this community, they always say it's the jockey, not the horse. I mean, you really need to bet on the team that's going to bring this forward. And so we're really looking for people that have demonstrated healthcare, technology, corporate leadership. And lastly, we're looking for things that have a compelling value proposition, things that really disrupt standard technology solutions or models, you know, that address sort of massive market opportunities and really are things that have a sustainable competitive barrier. So those are pretty broad, but I think those are the things, if you see the healthcare entrepreneurs that are out there, I think these points would resonate with them right away. 
So we here at Healthcare Weekly, we, we launch white papers all the time. And uh, there's one upcoming white paper that we're going to put live by the end of the week. And I thought the use case was really powerful. So I want to use the use case and ask you, okay, like, if I wanted to build this, explain to me in lay terms how 2047 could help me with that. So that, you know, people who are listening in, they can really understand, like, what are the different touch points in building a successful digital enabled product and where can House 2047 fit in? So the white paper is about the elderly population, primarily 65 and older. And the white paper is about two things. One is technology and how the elderly population engages with technology through different means and channels. And the second one talks about a series of social determinants and issues that the elderly population is facing and how a specific digital solution could really assist with those. And I thought it was very interesting because, I mean, you know, I'm in my 30s. This is not necessarily something that I think about, of course, that much. But like some of the insights were around, let's say, emotional concerns among the elderly, which is like isolation, loss of spouse and friends, loss of independence, appreciation by others, physical limitations and condescending attitudes of others. And ultimately, the the whole point of the white paper is like we should create digitally enabled platforms which help the elderly two ways. One, manage their chronic condition, of which 80% of the elderly are currently facing. And two, tap into these emotional concerns that the elderly have that other population groups do not. So let's say now that I come to you and I tell you, I want to create a social platform for the elderly. And this platform would have two components. One, help the elderly become part of an engaged community through digital means, let's say a mobile application or a website where you can connect with all the elderly in your community, participate in fun activities, etc. And second component is managing their health and wellness through gamification. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm coming to you, Larry. This is my idea. Um, you know, how would you help me with that? And it could be like, you can tell me, hey, the idea is bad, right? Or there's no market for it. Or moving on from there to other people can have. So again, you know, we have a sort of a weekly meeting of a venture team where we bring in a variety of different perspectives because these people have a variety of different experiences. And we typically would go through, it sounds like you've already gone through some of the earlier steps. You know, you've got a clear definition of what the problem is. You've got a proposal for what the solution is, you know, sort of a digital solution for this. I think the first step that what we would do is something that we call fingerprinting. And that's to sit around and try to identify what are the biggest challenges to actually achieving success here. And, you know, not to sound too superficial, but in this situation, is it the technology, right? I mean, would it be difficult to build the platform that you're talking about? I don't think that would be the case, but necessarily we just say, what are the issues? What are the problems? And we try to identify the three or four biggest issues is adoption You know, is it getting the elderly to engage in a digital platform? Is that, and I'm not saying it's a problem, but is it an unknown? And so could we use this fingerprinting process to identify what we think the big two, three, four unknowns are 
And then once we feel we've done that is to do what we like to call simple experiments, which is to go out to potential customers, do market soundings, and talk to people about their willingness to adopt some of these things. And if we had a prototype that you could put into their hands and say, is this helpful to you? In this situation, it's really to bring it down to the level of market acceptance and customer involvement. And what does it take to involve these people? You know, one of the things that First Mile had done a lot of was how do you engage people initially? Do you do it by snail mail? Do you do it by email? Do you do it how many multiple times? So there's a customer identification, there's a customer adoption, but there's also just, you know, sort of a customer stickiness the way you think. And so once we had identified those problems, done some simple experiments and said, yeah, these are things that are within our ability to approach, we would then go into sort of a, you know, a large, what we call a nurturing phase where we put together an experimental plan, we put together a charter, we put together a venture deck, and ultimately we build from this a business plan and something that you could take to the investment community, a series of documents, a venture deck, a business plan, an operating plan, a financing plan, and raise capital. So we try to do it in a stepwise manner and allowing us to, you know, gradually, systematically, importantly, but also gradually sort of identify the problems, deal with them one by one, de-risk them so we can move on to the next step. The only other thing that is important is the access, the access we have or the support we have of the AMA and the physicians at the AMA, because ultimately we think that these problems are going to be solved through the lens of the physician-patient interaction to a large degree. And there have been a lot of attempts to bring solutions to the healthcare process that didn't involve physicians early enough on, didn't get their input, didn't get their insights. And so that is also a really critical part of what we would bring to the, you know, bring to the process, which is, you know, not only a systematic business-wise, Silicon Valley-wise approach to, to identifying, solving a problem, turning it into an investable problem that's going to be able to attract capital, but also to involve the physician community for their insights and for their advice. So I think you're bringing up a very, very good point, which is about like how physicians, you know, I'm going to switch gears now from like the consumer focused example earlier to, to talk about physicians. And for the longest time, particularly health IT companies have found that it's quite difficult to really push digital solutions to physicians. And part of it could be that physicians are very busy. They're jaded with using systems, EHR systems that are complex. They don't want anything new in their lives and any other combination of, of different factors. As you are, as you said, uh, the investment arm of the AMA, you not only have access to hundreds of thousands of, of doctors and practices in this country, but you have firsthand direct knowledge of how physicians interact with technology. What are, you know, for your point of view, the biggest hurdles a company, a new company needs to overcome when they're launching a new solution geared towards physicians? I mean, uh, yeah, no, that, that's an excellent point. I think there are a couple of really bad examples of technological solutions that have bristled the physician population. You brought up the EHR. It is the classic solution. It's not clear that it really solves their problems. It solves other people's problems. There are examples of technology and technological advancement that are being adopted. Robotic surgery is one which is what I think of all the time. 
you know, started with intuitive surgical. There are now a number of things. The way some of these surgeries are taking place are remarkable. You know, people leaving the hospital within 18 hours of open heart surgery sorts of thing and stuff like that. So there are examples of technology that is being well incorporated into practice, and there's many, many more than that. But I think it is the early engagement in the process to bring the physician in as early as possible to, again, to get their insights and get their directions and also to understand where the resistance, the pockets of resistance may be, right? So really, what's the, yeah, what is the fit? You know, how is, what is the utility and how is it going to improve the physician's, you know, uh, daily work? So I, th- I think early engagement is key. And again, the AMA provides us sort of unparalleled access to that and support. So I know at least talking to a lot of companies within the healthcare space that gear towards physicians, there's been a shift in, in recent years to just develop platforms that kind of smoothly integrate with the EHRs and kind of they're built on top of the EHRs. Is that in line with kind of your expectations for how physicians would interact with the technologies that not and not to build new platforms altogether, just to integrate with what's working? I'm trying to really understand from your point of view more specifically, like what do you think are, you know, like if I'm talking to a physician, what would a physician say? Like, I don't want to engage with any technology because of what? Well, you, you know, again, I think the first part, what you brought up, Coden, is we need to leverage the existing infrastructure. It's too large. It's too vast. The capital commitments that have been made in establishing these infrastructures is really not something that it makes sense to try to convince anybody to replace. So they have existing infrastructures. The heart of it may be an electronic health record, but making the information which is contained within that more accessible for the physician, that's more empowering for the physician, that brings up the right data at the right time in the right format. You know, you read a number of analyses of the information that's contained within an EHR. The values that people throw out are differently, but they say that there's something like 10 to 15% of the information in the EHR is what the physician really is looking for. And yet they have to hunt and peck through that entire list of stuff to find out the half dozen values or the CAT scans that they're looking for. And so anything that you can do that can systematically empower the physician by presenting the right information at the right time in the right format. And again, taking it not so much, it's not a billing tool anymore. It's now actually helping and assisting in the delivery of healthcare. And so I think that in my experience, limited experience, but in my experience, Anything where you can honestly say this is going to make your life easier, you know, it's going to allow you to focus on the patient as opposed to the machine. I found there's great willingness in the physician community to adopt that sort of thing. So you mentioned earlier that Health 2047 plans to announce one major partnership per quarter. Like, how does that process work? Is it like one per quarter per pillar? Um, Is it... Yeah, how does it work? So we have people in here that are firm believers in the fact that when it comes to innovation, you can't be too prescriptive. When it comes to really good ideas, you have to really take advantage of sort of what's in front of you as opposed to saying, well, we're going to have a chronic disease solution this month and we're going to work in data utility towards the second quarter or something like that. So it's actually more opportunistic. It's not unfocused by any stretch of the imagination, but it's more opportunistic. And what we would like to think is that we could launch four companies a year, which is why I come up with this one a quarter. 
but by no means is that a number that we're striving for. If, in fact, we had only two good ideas in 2019, we would only launch those two companies. And I hope and I have a sense that there will be years where we have the opportunity to perhaps launch six, maybe seven different companies. So we struggle a little bit with how to express these goals because they're a bit artificial. Gotcha. I mean, ultimately, I'm assuming as a company, you also have specific metrics that you have to buy by to uh, justify the funding as, as you are kind of at the convergence of investment and healthcare. I would expect that, you know, even if you only have one company, but a company that makes it big in 2020, that's significantly better than four companies that are not necessarily making or seeing any traction. Yeah, no, I, that's really well put. You know, one of the things that's most gratifying about the opportunity to be part of this is the AMA really is very much focused on the mission, make a difference, right? Make an improvement. And so I think if you would, it's exactly as you just laid it out. If you came to them and said, we had a home run this year versus, you know, four or five little singles that are appear to be going nowhere. It's really, really the, the aim, the goal, success. We get the star when we've made a difference. So if you are to think kind of holistically for the next you know, five to 10 years, what do you think in particular for like house 2047? What do you think are the biggest obstacles that you have to overcome for your organization to be successful? There's a number, obviously. I mean, first of all, we have to always keep in mind what our mission is. We have to always focus on the big ideas. We have to make sure that, you know, we can make a difference at that level. A critical feature for what we do, and this is not news to you, I'm sure, is the individuals, is the entrepreneurs. Can we attract the talent and the varied talent that we need to do in order to accomplish this mission. If you think about just the two examples that we've talked about today, which is first mile care, which is really, I like one way to put it is it's patient engagement, patient activation. And on the other, we talked about Zing Health, which is an insurance company. Two completely different skill sets for the people that are involved in those organizations. And so we need to think about how can we continue to attract qualified individuals of such a broad spectrum of experiences in order to be successful. It's one of the things I think that keeps us up. There's many things that keep us up at night, but I think it's one of the, one of the more reoccurring thoughts. Makes sense. As we come to the, the end of the podcast, I always like to kind of end the recording with the, the same question for all our guests. You know, what do you think are the most exciting trends that are going to reshape healthcare over the next uh, five to 10 years? Well, you know, one of the things that we are seeing now, obviously, this is not, you know, this is not rocket science, is the effect that the pandemic is having on us. And the way we look at it is the problems in healthcare haven't been defined by the pandemic, but they certainly have been had a bright light, you know, a spotlight put on them because of the pandemic. And I think what we're going to realize in the future, some of the things that need to be expedited that, again, everybody has always known about is we really need to, if you think about chronic disease, 85% of the spend in this country is on chronic disease. Yet most of our healthcare systems, our hospitals were designed for acute care. They're involved for surgery, for major infections, for pregnancies. They're not as good as taking care of somebody that has a disease over many, many, many years and where you need to treat those people, not necessarily at the hospital, but where they live. And so you can imagine that, you know, just providing an optimum mix 
of office, community, digital, telehealth services is going to be dramatically necessary. It's going to be a requirement based on everything that's happened to us with the pandemic and everything that has happened to us. As this care is take place in this displaced manner, there's going to be more data coming in from more sources. Healthcare data security is going to be massively important now because you're going to be getting, you know, you're going to be getting information from maybe personal devices, from distant clinics, from hospitals, from doctor's offices, and the ability to synthesize that material and to do so with privacy, but not only privacy, but also with security is going to be key. We need to streamline really how the office works and or how the doctors or places of care deliver care right now because, again, we're not going to have the advantages of time that perhaps we've had in the past. People are going to be more pressed. It's going to be more difficult for people to show up. And then lastly, we really need, you know, one of the things that's been going on in healthcare for a while is a recognition that one of the perhaps easiest targets is waste in healthcare. And some people represent that up to 30% of the healthcare spend is wasted. So how can we deliver the best care with the lowest administrative burden? Because a lot of that administrative burden is what accounts for the waste. Larry Cohen, thank you so much for joining the Healthcare Weekly podcast today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, and I wish you and Health 2047 all the best in the years to come. Well, Kojun, thank you very much, and I really thank you for the opportunity. This has been, uh, it's been great, and uh, I hope we get a chance to meet again in the future. Thanks for listening to the Healthcare Weekly podcast. Don't forget to visit us at healthcareweekly.com. Subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast app to get a notification every time a new episode is released. Do you know of an inspirational health leader who should be on our podcast? Email us at hello at healthcareweekly.com with details. Healthcare Weekly Podcast. Healthcare innovation starts here.